Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and youtube.com slash About to Review. You can find full links to the show notes and guests on aboutreview.com. And on that website, there's also a support tab. So if you want to support the show, there's a PayPal link and also an Amazon wish list. Being a podcast, of course, subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on all of them. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, you name it, it is out there. On this week's episode... I am alone in the studio, but I am joined via the Skype machine. Uh, welcoming back to the show, Tim Hall, the People's Critic. Good to be back, even if it's via the Skype machine. It is. I was like, I don't know about you, but uh, considering it is kind of late at night, I am recording with a blanket on my lap. I'm not sure what your comfortable situation <laughs> I, is. Oh, I've, I've, I've got a blanket on. I'm relaxing. My TV's kind of on. Nice. Like it's it's the pilot for Deadly Class. I've already watched it, so it's it's somehow on. Okay, yeah, I actually I still need to check that one out. So, uh, cool. So on this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the new, uh, I was going to say comic book adaptation, but it is not, even though it really tries to be. But the new film Glass, as well as not one, but two, Fire Festival documentaries for the price of none. Uh, one is called Fire Fraud. One is. Fire, the greatest festival that never happened. So we'll be talking about those three films on this week's episode. But before we get into that, we'll get into the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. First thing first, uh, before we get into the geek news or the movie reviews, uh, I have a sponsor shout out for this week's episode and next week's episode. So I will be attending this upcoming weekend, the Vancouver Short Film Festival in Vancouver, British Columbia for the third year in a row. It is one of my favorite festivals. I love short films. This is a two-day festival that I have had a, an amazing time at. In the past couple of years, interviewing people and seeing some amazing films. And the About to Review podcast has been sponsored this year to cover the festival by Little Z Productions. So Little Z Productions is a Vancouver-based production company that specializes in short-form digital content. So they are a they're film lovers that love making films and aim to tell stories that are authentic, funny, and honest. So definitely wanted to thank Little Z Productions for sponsoring me and the podcast uh, for that trip up to Vancouver, BC. In the description of this episode, there will be links to Little Z Productions on all of their social media channels. So go support them because they support uh, this podcast that you are listening to. So thank you again, Little Z Productions. Okay, now that that is out of the way... So, Tim, there are a couple, uh, only a couple news items that we're going to be discussing on this week's episode. One of them is the right. super teaser trailer, because it was like 30 seconds 
of a new Ghostbusters film. So how do you feel about this kind of very fresh kind of remake slash continuation of the original Ghostbusters when we just had one a couple years ago? Well, this is, you know, directed by Jason Reitman, whose dad, Ivan Reitman, directed the first Ghostbusters movie. Uh, so there's some lineage there with the story. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm I'm down for a fun Ghostbusters film. I'm excited. If it's if it's going to be a good Ghostbusters story, I'm I'm all in on it. I really because I really enjoyed the first two. Hmm. Yeah, it is something where even though the one that came out in 2016 uh, with Leslie Jones and Kate McKinnon, I mean, yeah, it was not received very well, and I think some of that might have to do with I mean, there was a lot of kind of bad press going into it of a bunch of people being like, this isn't my Ghostbusters. And so I was willing to give the, the film a chance and I did. And there were parts of it that really worked, but there were parts of it also that just kind of fell apart. Uh, mm-hmm. So with this now, just a couple years later going kind of quote unquote back to the classics, this might be a direct sequel to Ghostbusters two. I mean, from yeah, this... they're calling it Ghostbusters three. So I, I, I oh, hope oh, so. they are. Oh, I th- yeah. Okay, in the very in like the original thing, the teaser. I'm not sure if they actually said Ghostbusters three. I think I just saw Ghostbusters. Yeah, they pull off the tarp and you see the kind of original Ectomobile and the original logo. So I find it interesting because in that 2016 version, they did try and kind of pull in some aspects of the first two. So where this one is kind of going to go, not quite sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think because of the, the backlash from the first one, it, it didn't get a lot of praise. I'm not even sure how much money it made, but um, at the end, they try to sort of tag in, in, you know, some stuff from the previous Ghostbusters films. But if you're someone who feels like this property is, is something that can make money, and you want to move forward, this is kind of the only chess move you have left. Yeah, pretty much. So I just pulled up um, on Box Office Mojo. Uh, so the Ghostbusters in 2016. Uh, yeah, directed, of course, by Paul Feig. Uh, Feig? Feig? I forget. Uh, most Paul, of my Feig. Cuts, <laughs> Paul Feig. So the production budget was $144 million. The domestic total gross was only 128. And then total with foreign, yeah. it was two twenty nine. So once you include yeah. marketing costs and everything, this movie still lost quite a bit of money. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not the one they thought it they thought it would be. And this was, you know, this was coming on the heels of you know, rebooting Jurassic Park, which made massive amounts of money, gajillion dollars. Reboots of, of yeah, I made a gajillion dollars, and we're seeing all these reboots of things that people previously loved. And it made money. So it's also a gamble. I mean, that's what all these films are. They're a gamble. It's a known property. So you, you sort of roll the dice with the new cast and hope it works. And it didn't work out the way they thought it would. But they feel like they can still get money out of it. So they're going back to the drawing board and, and you know, hopefully telling a really interesting story and getting something out of it. Yeah. So we will see about that. Like I said, we all we have right now is a super teaser trailer. Uh, going through a couple of the articles, I'm not sure if they even give... I mean, I would assume 2020 for a release. Yeah, it says 2020, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, so that will be, uh, yeah, I I just will be interested to see, yeah, if they go 
what, how they tied into the the second one. Because yeah, if they're calling this Ghostbusters three and ignoring the one from twenty sixteen, that like will be an interesting challenge. Uh, speaking of sequels to movies that we really liked, so Christopher McQuarrie uh, announced recently. This is of course the director of Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, announced recently on Twitter that he has accepted to do not one, but two more Mission Impossible films. I am 100% on board with this. With Ghostbusters, yeah, there was kind of this unknown factor. With this, after seeing Mission Impossible, which a bunch of us local critics especially have in our top 10 films of the year of 2018, I, I have full faith in in his abilities with this franchise to do more things that we just have never seen before. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think what what worked for the Fallout was it was a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. And they did all the fun, cool stuff, and it made it look cool. I mean, we've seen Tom Cruise run across, a, run a million times in the film, but this time they put him on a rooftop, and they've got that cool bathroom fight sequence and they've got that helicopter sequence and they've got all the other stuff in between and so you know if they can figure out a way to tell really cool stories and have a really compelling villain then it'll work but all i've enjoyed all the mission impossibles i haven't not two was the only sort of wonky one i I was gonna say i mean it was (laughs) two was released in in a time where they weren't quite sure how to do these kind of movies yeah there's like a ton of slow motion in it and well it was john woo so you you have flames and doves and wigs and masks. And lots of masks. Yeah. It was that weird time. But now I think, you know, once they hit Mission Impossible 3, they, they figured it out. Yeah. They figured out a, a compelling villain is, is what works. Yeah. I totally agree. And the other news that kind of came on the heels of this is that Henry Cavill and Alec Baldwin, I mean, Christopher McQuarrie said that he would be considering bringing those two back. Mm-hmm. That is something else that I, I think could work. I mean, with. Henry Cavill, Cavill, like, he is somebody where even when you watch Mission Impossible Fallout from the kind of jump, you're like, okay, I can kind of see where your trajectory is going, but we're still along for the ride, and there's still a really good payoff. So I, I definitely think yeah, that he, is a he character. Was a really good, he's a really good villain. Mm-hmm. He's good. So, yeah, so I am down for that. Uh, he said that these would be shot back-to-back, and then released in 2021 and 2022. Which, Smart. I mean, absolutely. If you know that you are going to do two movies, I mean, take from take the example from like the Lord of the Rings movies. If you have everybody together, you have this plan, just knock it out, get it done. I know that that obviously comes down to budgeting and extending productions and actor schedules, but yeah. if you can do it, it makes absolute sense. Right. So, yeah, so I'm yeah. down for for that. And then lastly, uh, this movie and this franchise, I kind of feel really bad for. So this new Mutants movie that we were supposed to get in April of 2018 that then was pushed to later in 2018 and then was pushed to August 2nd, 2019, it looks like it might not even hit theaters anymore. Uh mm-hmm. I mean, this film has just been through the ringer. And I think that this, unfortunately, I mean, okay. So last year when Weinstein kind of that whole scandal broke out in January, about 15 movies were shelved while they kind of figured out 
new distributors and new ways to kind of rebrand those films to get away from that. This film, New Mutants and X-Men Dark Phoenix, were kind of caught in a in their own cyclone of trouble, which was the Disney-Fox merger. These conversations between Disney and Fox have been going on for a while. During that time, Fox was still under contract to make these movies, and they kept, they kept delaying them, they kept doing reshoots, and it just it felt like they were just doing it out of obligation. And now it seems like this new Mutants film might just end up going straight to Hulu, which, granted, I think would still be cool because I am still interested in the movie, but I just, I honestly feel bad for the actors and the people involved because they were like, we filmed this movie like two years ago, and now we're just kind of stuck in this weird cycle. So this is this is a tough know, one. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much the merger had to do with the, these films being released. It sounded like New Mutants was already in trouble, you know, when it first was began filming, and it, it, the direction of the story, and they want to do like this sort of horror film mm-hmm. with the mutant kids trapped in this hospital, and then there were extensive reshoots and then there was more reshoots and then there was a delay in the film because we ended up we got a trailer for this movie we did we got a trailer almost a year ago (laughs) yeah almost a year ago saw a trailer for it so you know there's there's film there i just think they're just not sure what to do with the movie and it doesn't really fit in the landscape of the other comic movies we have coming out so i don't know it just it's been a mess since the beginning and this is this is you know the same thing happened with uh the divergent films yeah, the last one was supposed to come out and it's never come out. I don't know if they've even shot it. They talked about it doing a straight to TV thing. Well, I thought that was because uh, I thought that was the guy nearly like broke himself in half, or was that? Oh, that was Maze Runner. Never mind. No, that was a different. Okay. Oh, Divergent was the one. We got the end of that. Yeah, Divergent was the one where you get a but, bunch of kids who disgraced sacred burial grounds and then cursed themselves. No, that was Maze Runner as well. That was what? Uh... Yeah, Divergent just was um, it, it was losing money. Oh, okay. They weren't making a lot of profit on these films, and they were they were you know contractually obligated to do it, to do the final film. Mm-hmm. But you know it's got like Miles Teller in it, Shalane Woodley, like all these people who are I'm sure want to go on and do other really interesting projects, and mm-hmm. not you know a final Divergent film. And <laughs> right. Kind of yeah, it kind of fell to pieces, and not not much happened with it. I don't even know what they're ever going to do. I think they're sort of. Sort of just hoping people forgot. Because wow. the last conversation was they they want to launch a television series. And how many more books you, do they have to just, do? It's, it, I mean, it's the you've already got the world created. You don't have to, you don't need a book for it. We've got a, oh, a world. True. We've got a world set up where there's you know there's divergence and all these these kids and these different factions they're in in this post apocalyptic world. So you've got the world set up. You just write a story about kids who live in that world. So I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do. With with this new mutants, it seems like it's it's in a bad space. Mm-hmm. Um, I if I had to bet money, we probably don't see it. Man, like and that that sucks even more. Like I mean, giving it to Hulu and just getting it out there for people to see. I just I I want that for everybody involved because that just why? why? What if it's terrible? I mean, at this at the same time, what well, do, do they have to lose? If 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 you listen, if you're attached to a project that is terrible, <laughs> right? I'm sure you want it just to go away. You got paid. <laughs> it's 
you know, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. You don't want that running on platforms and it being something people talk about. And, you know what I'm saying, it becomes a Twitter hashtag and a trending topic for all the wrong reasons because it's a terrible movie. Like, that happened with that um, Amanda Samberg movie she did with the Nazi dude. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that I... happened a couple – somehow people were, were introduced to it a couple weeks ago, and it became this whole conversation. You don't want that. Right. You don't want your bad movie seen a lot of day. You want it just to go away. True, true. Yeah, so that it yeah, it it is tough. Um I mean, I like the New Mutants series from what we saw in the first trailer and then they talked about making it even scarier. Yeah. It just yeah, no nobody, I mean, the people, the amount of people who have seen this film in its entirety are like a dozen right now, so who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, but an early word on on uh the dark phoenix is that it's a mess so oh, we'll see yeah. if anything changes and, and that's been an early word that and that is another movie that like, they have done something like they did six weeks of reshoots which six weeks is a lot it's a lot so and same with new mutants like they said that at one point when they were doing the reshoots they were reshooting half of the movie yeah <laughs> that, that is not a good sign but it's worked like i mean i mean they reshot the whole ending for world war z True. The whole ending. Yeah, that whole plane sequence to the World Health Organization, all of that. Yeah, they reshot. That That was not the original ending. They reshot that whole thing. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it has a benefit. Because the original ending that, you know, I read about was mm-hmm. like, Ugh, that's, a, that's a terrible ending for this movie. Yeah. So, you know. So, we, we will see. I mean, again. You know it, what could I use the ending and a reshoot? Ooh, tell me. Glass. <laughs> Nice transition. <laughs> Glass could have used a reshoot for his ending. For sure. So, speaking of Glass, with that uh, seamless transition, so the first movie we're going to be talking about is Glass by M. Night Shyamalan. This is the third movie in the uh, kind of unpredictable um, and almost unnecessary trilogy of Unbreakable, Split, and now Glass. 19 years in the making. 19 years. Mm, I don't know. He's playing, he's playing fast and loose with like in the making conversations. This was, this was always my idea. Right, buddy. Yeah, very true. Uh, but yeah. this movie, uh, we get James McAvoy returning as a, a bunch of people, a.k.a. The, the Horde. Horde. Uh, we get Bruce Willis returning as David Dunn, Samuel L. Jackson as Elijah Price, a.k.a. Mr. Glass. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy from Split as Casey Cook. Cook says it has two O's. Cook, I guess. Cook. What am I talking about? Why? Why would I pronounce that so weird? Cook. Anyway, you're uh, bad with words, right? I am. I, yeah. I had the past couple days off. It it is yeah, it is a mess. Sarah Paulson as Dr. Ellie Staple, and then a bunch of random people. So, the premise of Glass, and this is one of those films that I'm going to preface with. If you want to see this movie. Avoid every single trailer because the trailers literally give everything away. The only thing the trailers, the only thing the trailers do not show are, of course, his signature pseudo twist at the end. But with what you see in the trailer, like there is, I mean, yes, there is more to the movie. But as far as the beats, you see a lot of those in the trailers. I mean, he's not doing the thing that we're used to seeing in other movies, which is like. 
you're moving things around in the trailer so you don't really get a rhythm for how the film goes. Mm-hmm. This is pr- the trailer pretty much says this is how the film's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> because I think he's relying on his what people were calling a twist uh, <laughs> to be the thing that like that hooks people, right? Mm-hmm. So I think he's whoever's putting out the film is okay with showing sort of like you said the beats of the film in the trailer, mm-hmm. and then hoping that the the hook gets them and then that that makes up for it. Yeah. So in this film, uh, spoiler, it, it, it doesn't get you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get to that, but uh, yeah, I mean we get this film that pretty much takes place in real time from 2000 with Unbreakable. Uh, his son, David Dunn's son, uh, returns. Uh, I forget that guy's name. Oh, uh, Spencer Joseph. Treat Clark as Joseph. Joseph, yeah. So, I mean, this this takes place kind of in real time in Shyamalan's, I guess, shared universe at this point. And we see David Dunn essentially kind of living a regular life, quote-unquote, with a security shop, but then going on patrol and helping out. But we never really know... How or why? And we also get this conflict with his son, Joseph, who is kind of his, uh, trying to like his wingman, who is he's the, the guy. He's the guy in the chair. Yeah, the, exactly. The Charlie of Charlie's Angels, the one who sends his dad kind of out on missions and is on the walkie-talkie and is helping him out. But then later in the movie, actually not even that much later, in like the second act of the movie, we get his son being like, "Well, don't go walking and don't do this and don't do that." And it was like, "But you are the one telling him that." this is his obligation and duty to do it and helping him do it. Oh, no. But you know why he said that, though. <sighs> he said the police were looking for Like, he said, it's hot. It's hot in the streets. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe let's cool off. Because when, when we meet Dunn, they're kind of pseudo-looking for the horde. They just know he's a serial killer. Yeah. And they're trying to find him. And they're trying to... Try, and his son is sort of triangulated where he thinks he might be. Which, again, his son is, you know, the savant, which is pretty cool, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, so he tells him to, to maybe not go for a walk, but at the same time, you know, David is doing his heroic duty and of course goes for the walk anyway. I just, there were a lot of, uh, kind of inter-character dynamics that just did not really seem to make sense. Uh, one thing that I will say, and I said this, yeah, and that is a really good way to put it is that. These these moments that we get, these pseudo-revelations or whatever you want to call them, yeah, does not feel earned. It just kind of happens, and we are mm-hmm. watching it happen, but I did not really feel invested in, in some of these interactions. With James McAvoy, I said this with Split, and I will say it once again, the guy is phenomenal. Like, James McAvoy oh. is acting his butt off and doing a great job. Like he, his transitions between the different personalities that he has, some of them are very abrupt. Some of them are seamless. Like I, he really is impressive in this film. He's very good. He's the best part of this film. Yeah. He's he's spectacular. But the film to me is really interesting because it's sort of a film in three acts where the first, the, the opening of the film, the first 20 minutes is what I think people, the masses want to see, right? It's David Dunn hunting the Horde, mm-hmm. using his powers to find the Horde, and you see the Horde going through his different personalities as it's holding these young cheerleaders hostage. There's a big fight that ensues. Mm-hmm. The police are kind of, you know, very much like Batman being a vigilante. The police are very much trying to 
catch David Dunn as well as the Horde. Right. And then the, the second act of this film is like it's really slows down. It yes. feels like it's trapped <laughs> in like quicksand because they're in this mental facility for a very, very, very long time. And it's a lot of Sarah Paulson exposition conversations with these men. She wants to do some procedures that they don't really explain very well because she thinks they're all delusional and they keep having these conversations. Don't get to the third act. It's obvious that, you know, it's going to be a showdown between Dunn and the two bad guys. And then that takes, that's when Shyamalan throws his ridiculous curveballs and they interject <laughs> this thing into the film that no one is invested in because it comes no. literally out of left field. Nobody, and like, like nobody cared because if he had no made. No one cares. <laughs> If he had made any type of connecting tissue, and, and I get it, like tw- Unbreakable was in 2000, that was 19 years ago. I totally understand not laying something, laying the groundwork back then. 100%. I get that. Once he started down this path with Split and he knew he was going to connect these movies, give us something. Because when we something. get this weird <laughs> revelation of this other thing other kind of enemy other group whatever we have like 10 minutes left of the movie to care about them or to even no, like, but it, like i knew it was a problem when they, they, they show this tattoo like we're supposed to know what that means right <laughs> i was like i don't i don't know what that no like, i don't know what that means what's that supposed to mean then later on like oh okay this is what it's supposed to mean this is dumb so like, like that why, I, yeah <laughs> it just it made it, it just did not make logical sense which again in some of these I will say comic book inspired movies, superhero movies. Some of it, you can just be along for the ride and it is enjoyable and you do not need everything explained. Totally understand. But this one, it just, he makes you feel dumb because he's like, oh, see that tattoo? Yeah. But all of us are like, wait, what? Like, what? (laughs) Did did we miss something? There's some some inside joke that we don't know about that he's sort of all, that Kim and and his buddies are in on that we just don't get. (laughs) Right. But it, it and it seemed like a cheap way to end this film. Absolutely. That that has earned everyone sort of, you know, because he was really in the mud with a lot of these films. Mm-hmm. He was taking a lot of L's and putting out a lot of projects that people didn't care for. And then Split, co- well, the, the visit comes out and people like it. And they're sort of playing musical chairs with his name as they were, like, promoting the visit. But it comes out as a hit. And it's like, oh, that's M. Night's back. Mm-hmm. And then Split came out. Split was a surprise hit. Then the end of split tags it tags Unbreakable, and then it's like, oh, he's doing this gas glass trilogy. So it's like, oh, maybe he's figured this thing out, and he's telling really interested, grounded superhero stories. But then it, he, the way he decided to end this was like, this was not, this wasn't anything anyone wanted or cared to see. Like, I'm sure there's a small contingent of people who enjoyed it, but most people will, will walk out of there like that was a waste of my like. You burned all of your goodwill up in the final thirty minutes of this film, and that that I think was just a, burned it was just a real again just a shame because you get great performances from James McAvoy, you get Samuel L. Jackson yeah. being great, but at the same time, I mean he he's solid in most everything mm-hmm. he does. Bruce Willis was just kind of flat, but then again, Bruce Willis at this point in his career, that just that seems to be all he is doing is just flat. Uh, Anya Taylor yeah, Joy, but, that, is, but that, doesn't, that doesn't ruin the movie at all. You know, it's fine. Like, I mean, it is serviceable. Yeah, um, yeah Anya Taylor Joy, I liked. I liked her kind of coming back. 
again. No, I did not like her coming back. (laughs) Well, I mean, but again, we have these scenes and these moments where we are supposed to be so invested and care so much about her connection. But it, I just did not. And that was just weird. Why do we care about her connection to anybody in this film? Right. Like I, it was just, that was odd. Sarah Paulson does a great job. I mean, I, I liked, again, the, the hard part with M. Night Shyamalan is he is one of the most frustrating directors because he has these moments of kind of cinematic ingenuity and brilliance with like some sweeping camera angles that really kind of get you in the moment and these intimate shots. But then he follows it up with either some dumb dialogue or some dumb oh, connections gosh. that were just like, why did you, again, you, you said it, you said it before he ruined that goodwill that like, I was going into this movie being like, okay, I know what he has done. He kind of messed up, but Split was great. Let me see what you got. And I was like, really? This is this is where we are right now? So that was right. weird. Yeah. The worst part of the third act is all of the comic book exposition Ugh. and like conversation. <laughs> this, you know, it was so ham fisted <laughs> and like you're watching these characters and all of a sudden people are having these like ridiculous conversations about comic books and comic book characters and what they mean and what's in the books and everyone people are, are shopping and you know looking through comics and having these moments like what are we why is this even in the film yeah and it's, that was and like it's funny it's it's meant to make the film look smart and it doesn't no it does the opposite because with unbreakable in 2000 before we had this run of marvel movies that really showed what a comic book movie can be in 2000, when Unbreakable came out, me as a huge comic book nerd, I was like, holy crap. People are talking about comic books in a movie. People are using these archetypes in a movie. Like, I was really excited about it. But this one, after we have seen amazing comic book properties, when they're like, oh, but this isn't what happens when normal villains in comic book," And they're saying this in the right. movie, out in loud, movie. to another character. And I'm like, nobody talks like that. Like it was just weird. It was so weird. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. so but yeah, I mean, so basically, yeah, the story breaks down in three acts. I mean, he, the the reluctant <laughs> hero in the first act, the capture of the hero in the second act, who then recognizes his enemies as they are, and then the third act confrontation, and then ridiculous twist. Ridiculous twist. <laughs> That yeah. whole restaurant scene where people oh. were just everyone gets quiet. Like, I was like, and we had what two we of those doing? scenes. We had two of them. <laughs> oh man, I'm not sure what he was trying to convey with that, but man, it 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 fell flat. Yep, completely. So, all right. So for Glass, uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast. The rating system that we use, there are only three choices. The three three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something you would recommend to a friend. A bad is something that you did not really, you know, you did not feel like you wasted your time, but it was not that great. And then an ugly is avoid at all costs. So, Tim, what do you give Glass? It's a bad. I mean, there's enough good in it. The opening sequence, some mm-hmm. of the stuff in the hospital is fun. And McAvoy is good enough to save it from being an ugly I think it's a bad movie with a very ugly ending, but it's, you know, I'll settle for just bad. And I, I, I have to agree with you there. McAvoy saves this movie. If there was less of him in this movie and more of the other ridiculousness, 
this would be an ugly, but it is a bad because it just, the things that it tries to do, it fails at doing. The new things that it does fall flat. And that just, it just, it ends up being just a convoluted kind of mess. And some people are praising the the storytelling in the way of like, you know, kind of that old school Hitchcock style where it kind of builds up. But the difference with Hitchcock, it would build to something climactic and then pay off. This, it builds and builds, and then you just leave disappointed. Right. So it's a terrible payoff. Yeah. So, all right. So that was Glass, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, gets two bads. Uh, now, Tim, the yes, the well-known, uh, well-documented, uh, and yeah, the Fire Festival in 2017. Yeah. There are now competing uh-huh. documentaries that were released within the same week of each other. Tell us about these two documentaries, uh, Fire Fraud and Fire the Greatest Festival That Never Was. Well, well I didn't even know the Hulu one was coming out. Uh, that sort of like surprised everyone. It just everyone snuck out there. Doc- yeah, it just snuck out there. But I like them both because they're two documentaries telling the same story from two different points of view. Um, the Hulu doc... Fire fraud is well, well. In general, it's it's about the 2017 Fire Music Festival uh, that was scheduled to take place in uh, the Bahamas, island of Great Uzima, Exuma. Yeah, Uzima? Exuma. Yeah, that was the pronunciation Exuma. of that kind of changed it's depending Exuma. on who said it. <laughs> yeah, Exuma, uh, organized by founder Billy McFarland mm-hmm. and Ja Rule of all people. And the idea was that they were pushing this app called the Fire App, which would allow you to book your, to book any sort of celebrity talent, whatever, for anything, um, which was a, a, a decent idea. But they wanted yeah. something to push this app, so they decided to do this festival, and it went from a good idea to one of the worst weekends ever for a lot of people, and people being defrauded and. People being frauded and you know, lots of fraud, wire fraud, people going to prison, mm-hmm. people being in debt. Um, but the Hulu one is, is like a, a, a bigger sort of macro look at um, kind of influencers. Yeah. Because yeah. Billy's idea or whoever's idea was was to like get all these influencers to all post this image on their Instagram at the same time. And people would be like, what is this? They click on there. And there's this really amazing commercial that you can still find on YouTube. It's the commercial, the, the the trailer for the festival was like incredible. It was oh, all yeah. these the production literal, value literal was models. insane. Oh man, literal models on an island, intercut with like stock footage from other people performing at festivals, and you didn't. So you had you know the Kylie Jenner's of the world and Bella Hadid's and you know all these beautiful women and, and influencers posting this image. So then that sold the idea that it was this thing that was somewhat legit mm-hmm. and then they're naming all these acts blink 182 kanye good music migos like all these top acts are going to be there for this two-day weekend one thing that's touched on in the hulu doc is wanting their festival to be what coachella is now yep and coachella didn't start like that none of the festivals rolling loud none of them start like that and a lot of these a lot of these festivals don't operate they're not making a ton of money off of it some of them do, but a lot of them don't aren't like cashing out. But it was this idea that we could have like this cultural moment of like you're at like you know I still have people who still 
who saw Beyonce last year at Coachella, and they still talk about it, right? As well so they should. It was one of the greatest well live they... performances of all time. <laughs> but everyone wants to be a part of these moments, right? Yeah. To say, I was in the crowd. I was there. I saw it. It was a crazy weekend. Um, so people start paying all this money. But when they get to this island, there's not really anything there. There's no infrastructure. There's nothing there. And in both docks, what you learn is that plenty of people told them that, yeah, you can't do this. Right. <laughs> can't do this in six months. It takes like 18 months planning 18. at best. You know, a year is cutting it close, but at least 18 months to create an infrastructure, uh, get everything ready. But they just kept moving forward. And, you know, as we got closer, you realize that there were no real guests there. No one had actually booked. Um, things were falling apart. They weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Then there's a storm the night before. And then, you know, one of the craziest things in the in the dock is when the people show up. And they turn the corner in that cheese bus, and it's it's FEMA tents, and and all this stuff. So the Hulu doc is interesting because Billy's in it a lot. He's he's sort of telling his side of the story, and uh, he lies a lot in the documentary, which is fascinating. I like that they pointed that out that he's he can't help it because he's Mm -hmm. like, what have I lied about? And they just run back all of his lies. Right. The biggest one being that they had two hundred and fifty homes. For people to stay in, mm-hmm. but they lost the keys. A box of keys. And the interviewer was like, so wait, wait. You lost a box of keys. And you just see Billy just kind of stare at him. And it was like, wow. Yeah. yeah but the idea that, like, in front of this camera that's going out to the world, I'm going to say, look, I mean, we, we've seen the, the video. We've seen the map. Right. Where were these 250 homes going right. to be? Like, there's nowhere to end. And so, so, okay, so that falls through. So you somehow get rid of these 250 homes that no one ever saw, and your your second option is is leftover hurricane tents for people to sleep in. Mm-hmm. And wet like mattresses. The, the, the and... one guy, yeah, right. The one guy on the Netflix doc had a really interesting take where he was like, "Yo, we'll just have a boat they stay on, and we'll just have to shuttle them back and forth." I'm mm-hmm. like, "That's a much better idea. That might have worked." Yep, it's a, it's a cruise ship. It can fit all the people on there. You can even have two cruise ships. Yep, and he but then it gets shot out. down. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. He's he's off the team. They wanted to be people staying at a, at a campsite. Um, so you learn that in the, in the Hulu doc, I think, and you, you also learn a lot more in the Hulu documentary about sort of the way in which he frauded people, mm-hmm. like the the way he lied about it, the things that was a lot more specific about what he had lied about and and why he's in prison now, and then, you know you get to meet his girlfriend and like, you know. You you hear about his other mentor when he was doing magnesis, that credit card thing. Yeah, uh, and how this this guy died, which you know sounded like a suicide, but uh, he died. Yeah, like that. Th- there's a weird, and this no is in the Hulu one, where one of the major investors of this, who you know put in millions of dollars, who then gets indicted on federal charges, the next day gets into a fiery car crash and ends up dying. Yeah. The next, next day, like within 24 day. hours. Of being yeah, indicted. So that guy's gone. But you can see where, where, because when they talk, talk about the magnesis stuff and the way he was trying to move, move money around, like, I, I'm going to buy Hamilton tickets and then uh, you give me money for those, to pay for those, I'm going to try to sell Super Bowl tickets or Jay Z and Beyonce tickets. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was constantly trying to move money around. He tried it with the festival and it's just way too many moving pieces and moving parts for that to work. In the Netflix doc, you learn a lot more about. 
the type of carnage that they left behind. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the dock, it's people talking about how much debt was on her credit cards. Um, how you know the the woman who didn't get her money? It looks like there's a GoFundMe up now that she's actually getting her money back. Oh yeah, the, the restaurant, woman, the, all the workers, no one got paid. All the yeah, all that stuff. It, you know, and the way they sort of escaped, like they were breaking out of prison because people were like, where when it when it fell through and it wasn't happening, they realized that no one was showing up. These workers who had worked for free this whole time were like, where's our money? Mm-hmm. And these people sort of like left the island, you know, Cobra Commander style. Like I got I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Um, well, and that was that sucked because like that was basically just the contractor, like the the son, the guy that Billy McFarland hired. He then did his job and hired a bunch of people to help put together tents, to put together match, to do all of the work. Billy bounces, and then the workers are going to the contractor, being like, "Okay, we need our money," Where, but he never got paid from money Billy, at? and like they were coming to his house, and yeah, he was the one who was like, "I got on the next boat yeah. and I was gone." Because his livelihood yeah, was sure. being threatened because of Billy, like because yeah. of this organizer who had this this mastermind behind everything, who was just shuffling things around like crazy. And like the difference between the two for me, the Hulu documentary Fry Fraud, that felt like true investigative journalism. Like that was a a just really well put together documentary that. I mean, you had Billy McFarlane, like, being interviewed. You had clips of him. You had his girlfriend. It talked about his past and how he has always had this great intellect and mind for business. It was then he quickly used that to be a little nefarious versus the Netflix fire documentary. That one, it was it was a bit softer. It was a bit, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it felt more almost like you, more of an you, ad for a marketing company yeah, versus... You know why? Cause- well, yeah. the, the 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 Jerry Media people who were in who they mentioned in the Hulu doc were involved in this Netflix one, and they were very much a part of selling this dream to people really late in the game, mm-hmm. like when people knew it was going to fall apart. They were still, you know, because they were hired, they were still pushing out this content, and and you see these guys in the Netflix doc, and it's like they just showed up, like, oh hey, we're here, oh I guess it's over, like no, you guys were heavily involved in it, <laughs> right from the beginning. Same with Ja Rule. Oh gosh, Jaw Rule. So <laughs> this 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 man, Jaw Rule, in both documentaries, you see him as a critical component from the beginning to the end of this whole debacle. Yeah. He has managed to escape all well, maybe not all negative repercussions, but all negative uh, financial repercussions. He has yeah. never like no charges against him or anything. Oh, you get sued right now. That oh. was in the Hulu doc. And yeah, he's one of the people he's getting sued. Oh yeah, yeah. In like in a civil suit or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it just it is crazy because he has gone the past, ever since these documentaries dropped, he has been on social media being like, I was I was bamboozled also, and I never got paid and blah blah. And it was like, <laughs> dude, we see you. Like we we saw <laughs> you, bro. These you there are video there's video of you there's in the audio. meetings. There's audio of you at the end after it all went down where you said well, you didn't fraud anyone. And people were like, it's fraud. He's like, no, nah, more like false advertising. <laughs> nah, man. That means fraud. fraud. That's right. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's fully aware of what happened. I think he just, you know, the, the, the heat got out. And mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you, you know this thing is coming out. You know you probably look bad in it. And then 
you don't know how bad and you're not sure how people react and people reacted properly, which is like, dog, why aren't you in prison? <laughs> right. He was right there. You were there from the beginning. You know, that's your right hand man. These idiots comparing themselves to, to, to magic and bird. Oh, gosh. <laughs> hey, get these two buffoons out of here. They're, <laughs> they're doing everything. They're taking shots. Mm-hmm. They're, they've got like a little, a little toast they do all the time. A disgusting like one. Rock stars. Oh. Yeah. And cigars and the shirtless and, you know, telling people to hashtag stuff. Like he was heavy. He was all in. I said it turned out bad. So now he wants to distance himself with like a lot of like, like the Jerry media people, like a lot of people they want to distance themselves from it. For sure. And I mean, and I definitely get that. What was interesting also is there were certain people that you saw in both documentaries, both on the uh, victim side. I mean, people who attended the festival, but also like the behind the scenes people who are orchestrating all of this. So one of them, Grant, he is not in the Hulu one at all. Like you, you, you hear him mentioned and you see a couple pictures and stuff, but in the Netflix one, whatever access, whatever different type of access they had, he is yeah, had a lot of raw all footage. over the place. And well, which one was Grant? Grant was the guy with the glasses. Yeah, who was just <laughs> he was the one who was like down. when they when they when he heard the idea about the boat. And the guy like the guy who was like, you know, it, it, it's going to be tough getting drunk people off the island to the boat, but it would be easier, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And you see the look yeah. on the guy's face being like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm serious. We're not doing the boat. And he was like, I knew at that point. And then it kind of cuts to like his interview segment. And he was like, yeah. he was like, blah, blah, blah. But it just so it was interesting. Those people who were just not in the other one, the person that I am not the most interested in. There's a guy in the Netflix version, the pilot who was shuttling people to and from who learned how to fly from Microsoft flight simulator. And (laughs) he was like, he was like, yeah, it's actually a pretty good program. Blah, blah, blah. And it was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) That blew my mind. But he, he was the one with the boat idea. He was the one with the idea of right. the boat. That was his idea. And they just like, nope, got to go. <laughs> and sort of kicked him off the team. But like three months. And, you know, you're bringing in people who can do the job, but you're bringing them in like three months and ask them to do really hard label for three months. It just, you know, a similar thing happened last year with that with that Universal FanCon. It's a very similar situation. Oh, yeah. FanCon comes out, you know, Jamie and, and these people from Black Girl Nerds and some other people come out and they say, Hey, we're gonna do this thing. They raised a bunch of money. We're gonna put on the show. So, but instead of having a smaller con and doing something that they could do, they want to be a big con, right? You, you, you want that? You know what people call clout coins. You want? Wow. You want all this clout for doing for having something that people talk about and being in the know and people Instagramming it and and, and, and people talking about it. So then you you go way outside of your budget. So they had you know they had a bigger space than they needed. Mm-hmm. They had you know. You know, charge a few for it's all this ridiculous. So when it comes close to the con, the con's not going to happen. But they don't tell people. Yeah, and it all come. But that you know, it's obvious that they knew they were over budget months before, and they just you know, there's a whole you can you know Google Universal Fan Con and read all about what happened. But it's a very similar situation on a smaller scale. But but sim- I think similar ideas and similar sort of hubris that brought both the things down. Yeah, which was the Agreed. idea that I, yeah, wanting to do something outside of your depth, and then not listen to people to be like, eh, that's not gonna work. 
you should probably scale it down and be like, no, it's going to be this thing. And then people walking away. Like, people, a lot of people lost money with Universal Fan Con. Mm-hmm. A lot of people lost a lot of money. A lot of people who make their money at cons who were looking for, they lost their money. And it's, you know, people just running around like Ja Rule, like nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, it just, that was, uh, yeah, that, that was the other interesting thing about this documentary is, again, one is definitely a soft-handed approach because it was produced by one of the media companies that was involved in the entire, not the entire process, but most of the process. They were, Fire Festival was a client of the producers of the Netflix documentary. So yeah. the approach kind of at the end was like, we're all victims. And even, the people, and it was like, what, um, I mean, yes, but the the influencer, the model who has flown out months before everything to essentially just do a video shoot. That's she, a job. Yeah, like that is a job. She is not liable for any of the other thing that came out after. And but I mean, they had an interesting point where they were like, it was one of the either current Jerry Media people or past when they were like, if we get hired to do a job for BMW, but that car crashes, is it our fault? And it makes sense when you think about it. But then you were like, but wait, you but how have... much did you know? Though? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, how much did you know? <laughs> sounds nice in theory but how much did you know were you aware of what mm-hmm. was happening were you aware of the product that you were selling were you being an, a, 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 a snake oil salesman or did you get duped yeah and and it, it all depends on when you had that information exactly and i think i mean I, and i do think that some people genuinely i mean well not just the people who got to the island but some people involved in the process genuinely got duped like there were people on there was a conference call at the end of the netflix documentary where they're yeah. kind of getting like chided by billy and being like blah blah blah, we need to do this and one of them was like okay we only built the website or like you know we only built the app like why are we getting yeah. tied up in all of this so yeah, you had you had a group of people who who didn't work on the festival they were just there to work on the app because yeah that's the idea that's the whole thing that's the and they almost sold it for a bunch of money mm-hmm Thank God dude got him to hold off on it. He's like, hey, hold off on buying this thing. Wait and see how this festival goes. It's going to end up being sort of a circus. But, you know, both docs are interesting. They're both very well made. But they do a really good job of painting, like, a picture of how we get here with people. And the idea that because you can curate something on the internet and make it seem cool doesn't mean you can curate an actual festival and make that thing work. It's a lot of work that goes into it that I think people underestimate. They think, oh, we just throw some money together and show up and look cool. It's all the ordinances and the, and the stuff going mm-hmm. to customs and all. You didn't get to the custom guy, didn't get to water, but. Oh, gosh. that. Yeah. But but all that <laughs> stuff. But all that stuff is, you know, if you've traveled, you understand that. Like, these are things, these are things you have. That's why it takes 18 months because you got to work all this stuff out. Not in six. Mm-hmm. These things take time. They're not, you know, um, but yeah, so I think both docs are done well. Um, the Netflix one has a lot of like, like you said, the Ja Rule audio at the end, and even the end with when, when they start selling the other stuff. Like, oh man, with LeBron James, like, but that tells me that he's he's fully aware of what he's doing. Yeah, that's well, all a con. One of the greatest quotes was, uh, I think it was actually in the Hulu one, when Billy is on bail uh, toward the end of both of the documentaries, because that is kind of the cycle of it. So he is on bail. And one of the people in the documentary said, when you are on bail, that is the time when you should commit the least amount of crimes possible. But instead, he doubled down because that just that is all he knows. Not all he knows how to do, but it is just so ingrained in him. Like, he is on bail 
and still running cons and still doing this yeah. thing. And it was like, bro, like, really? Like, do not. He's, ho- he's, he's hoping to con his way to the big con, which is probably selling this app for whatever, 30 million and using that to pay off all the other cons. Oof. And that's probably the hustle, right? Running these other these small little cons and moving money around and owing people money and doing this, whether it be stuff with the penthouse with with um, you know magnesium and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe it's that. And at the end, once I line this big deal, I can pay off and I can live like a rock star in a penthouse with the Maserati and do all these things. Yeah. But you go from living. I mean, here's the thing: they could have just sold the app. Yeah. Without that. But I think he was also lying about the value of, of that. hundred like, percent. Yeah. And, and it was just it in all of the in the Hulu one, because I do a bit more behind the scenes stuff of him and his life, of Billy's life, all of it just it just reeks of privilege. And this 100%. whole this whole idea of, oh cool, I just need to con this person, this person, because that way I can get this and this and this. But worst case scenario, I can just move in with my parents and I can do and it was like it was just the the privilege was just palpable, but also the idea that he could that he can just walk in a room and and come back with three more million dollars, right? It's a privilege a lot of people don't have. Yeah, and I don't know what he was selling these people, but enough where they believed him, they didn't doubt him. They, you know, he's saying he's he's this thing and he's he's talking good talk. Even something is, is you know when he borrowed that money when he lied to the guy with that ridiculous interest rate. But part of it was like, I'm going to get these kids to put money on these wristbands. Oh, sheesh. Cash this event, and then that will pay back the money I owe. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, maybe a good idea, but also he's doing it because he, he's trying to pay off other de- outstanding debts, not because he thinks it's genius. No, that was an absolute just cash grab of being like, cool, I am just going to send out this email, tell them what to put on it, and these idiots are going to put it on it. Put it on the wristband, and then suddenly you have this cash flow. To, yeah. yeah I mean, it, just, yeah, it reminds me of that old flow. that now, old saying of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like yeah. all it is is just hand, like switching hands with the money, in this weird circle. So, yeah. Uh, so both of those are available um, on demand. One is on Hulu, that is Fire Fraud, and then the other one, Fry, Fire, Fire, the greatest festival that never was, is on Netflix. Um. Yeah, I, mean, I recommend watching both. I, I I would too, and I took your advice and I watched the Hulu one first, and I think that is the the best way to do it because the Hulu one does give you a better perspective of who Billy really is because it goes back into his childhood, right. it goes to his first businesses, and I, so I liked that. I think if I had gone just into the Netflix one as a documentary film fan, I would not have felt very satisfied. I felt right. more satisfied because I had seen the Hulu one, but the Netflix one is definitely just softer. And obviously, like, for the yeah. reasons we talked about, they they have a vested yeah, but interest. Also, yeah, but they fill in a lot of different holes with, like, the debt that's left behind right. and, like, um, some of the actual raw audio of, you know, some of these meetings. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, like, some of that stuff is jarring because you're like, oh, wow, these people are monsters. Well, that and at one point Real Billy was like he hires a film crew to just get more video yeah. and more audio. And it was like, do you not know the evidence that you were putting against yourself? Like, that was yeah. weird. But he, I, I think he always thought he could finesse his way out of it. I think he's used to be doing that. He felt like, oh, I finessed my way out of so much. I can probably finesse my way out of this, too. Because he never thought he was going to prison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the hubris. And guess what? Spoiler alert. 
He is currently in prison, serving six years. Serving six years, yeah. So in federal prison too. So federal prison, yeah. Yikes. Uh, okay, so individually, uh, fire fraud. What do you give it? Good, bad, or ugly? That's a good. Okay, uh, I agree with that. Also, again, this is more of the documentary style that I like. It just it is more investigative journalism. Digs a little bit deeper. Paints more of the 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 big picture. Um, but yes, I mean, you did point out with Netflix, they fill in a couple other little gaps. So I give the Netflix one a good as well. What do you give it? Same. It's a good as well. Both. They're both. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's it's three hours in total. You know, I'd watch them, you know, back to back on the weekend or something and just you get a fuller picture of what's been happening and, you know, how, how crazy it was. For sure. Just how wild it was. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Uh, Cool. So, yeah, that is the the show for this week. So we talked about Glass, which we liked aspects of it, but the third act, the plotting second act and the third act mess that it was, it just, it, we both gave it a bad. Uh, it had the chance to be good, but it also had a very, very close chance of being ugly. Uh, and then with both fire documentaries, uh, we both gave a good two. So those are both on demand right now. Uh, Tim, where can people find you on social media and what do you have coming up? Uh, they can find me at the peoplecriticblog.com, uh, People's Critic on Twitter. I don't have much coming up. It's a really a dead month for you know a few weeks, so I'm chilling. Nice. Yeah, definitely January, February is an interesting time for critics because we cram so many movies into November and December. And then January, February, we have like half a dozen movies that like are big movies that you know would be we would be getting press screenings for. So, yeah, pretty relaxing time uh, here in the critic world. Uh, nice. And all of Tim's link will, all of Tim's links will be in the show notes below. So definitely go and follow him. As for the About to Review podcast, upcoming things, obviously, like I talked about at the top of the show, this coming weekend, I will be covering the Vancouver Short Film Festival in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And that trip is sponsored by Little Z Productions. So definitely another shout out to them. Uh, The link for Little Z Productions will be in the show notes. Next week's episode is going to be all about the Vancouver Short Film Festival. There will be interviews with actors and directors and filmmakers, as well as my breakdown of my favorites that I got a chance to see or that I will have a chance to see in just a few days. You can follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. AboutTreeView.com has full links to show notes and guests. And then support the show either by sending a tweet or sending an email at AboutTreeView at gmail.com. That would be fantastic. If you have a movie that maybe is going to maybe slip through the cracks in this weird slow time of January, February that is maybe on Netflix or Hulu, shoot me an email. Shoot me a tweet. I would love to hear about it. So that about wraps it up for this week's episode. I have been joined by Tim, the People's Critic. And I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves.